What a beautiful time of worship this morning, led by young and old. That's a, a sweet, sweet thing. Just want to say, Forrest was just now praying for those who represent us in places cross-culturally where Jesus is not known, and um, I'm thinking of a particular people group for whom you have prayed. I, I'm not sure that all of you know about them, but many of you do. Um, and I'm not going to mention their name because this is online. Um, but they live in a place in the world and among that particular people group. And if you don't know, I want you to ask around until you find out, well, who is our adopted people group? Uh, until you get that answer. But among that people group and among many like them who live in the same region, uh, in that mountain range, um, about half the languages or more don't have a word for forgiveness. When your language lacks a word, it means you don't have the concept either. Uh, and so as you are praying for that particular people group, pray that they, that God would send someone among them because there's no believers among them. Pray that God would send someone among them who embodies grace and mercy and forgiveness. Um, because they haven't understood it. They've lived for centuries without seeing what does grace look like uh, in person? What does it look like to be lived out? They, they've never experienced it. And so it is a foreign concept to them. Uh, and in fact, one of their higher values, uh, one of their highest values is in fact revenge. So those who rank highest in their culture are those who exact revenge um, whether violently or in other means uh, against others. So just occurred to me as uh, Forrest was praying, it would be worthwhile mentioning that because that's going to be our subject this morning. Um, how do I go about this? I think before I speak, I just want to share with you took two books which I read again this week. One of them I reread. It's called The New Freedom of Forgiveness. The New Freedom of Forgiveness by David Augsburger. It's deep. It approaches the subject of forgiveness going toward the, the eventuality of reconciliation. Uh, it talks about forgiveness as a process. It would almost seem when you read this book, which is called Forgiving Forward by uh, Bruce and Tony Hebel, um, that they're in conflict with one another. They focus more on forgiveness as a decision, as an act, as a, as a moment, a decision of the will. I think both are true. And if you read them both and harmonize them, it will help you. Um, this one focuses not on, on the person who's been offended and no one is coming to ask forgiveness. How does that person then gain freedom by forgiving? This focuses on both. And so I encourage you to do this, read them together. Um, very beneficial for me. In fact, I think when I can, I probably need to read through this book once a year uh, just to reinforce what grace looks like uh, in my heart and mind and predisposition. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit uh, of what I learned from them this morning. In fact, I don't think I'd call what I'm going to do this morning preaching so much as sharing. Uh, what I gave you last week and the weeks preceding was based on the Word of God, and I was trying to preach to you what the Word of God shares, has for us. 
Today, I want to give a how-to. If before the words were from Jesus, today the words are from Brian, okay? There's a different level of authority here um, because what I'm going to share with you is how do we go about resolving? How do we go about reconciling? We're basing it, basic, uh, basing it basically, how do you say that? We are basing it on this first application of a righteousness which exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the experts in the law. Jesus' first thing out of that when he describes how do we, how do we have such a high level of righteousness that matches what the kingdom citizens or disciples of Jesus' kingdom ought to live like, he says, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And we all say, Whew. But then he says, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, uh, you fool, or uh, in some expression of anger, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, you idiot, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. If, therefore, if that's the case, he looks at a guilty audience, he says, okay, you nailed me. He says, if, therefore, you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering then he gives the analogy of, of debtors and, and the one to whom the debt is owed. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law, the one to whom you owe a debt, while you're with him on the way, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. In other words, be urgent about this. Do it in the course of life. Because there is a final judgment coming. He's not saying you're going to be thrown into prison. He's saying be urgent about settling offenses and giving and receiving forgiveness. Because that's the way we save. Uh, if, if the way of revenge is uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then we will soon live in a very blind and toothless world. Uh, and he's saying settle those offenses. Um, let's pray, and then we will begin exploring how do we go about doing that. Lord God, thank you that in our language we do have this word, forgive. And we pray for those cultures that have no concept of it, that they might enter into it by your grace, by the, your power, sending messengers of grace among them. Thank you that we have wise teachers to explore this concept and unfold it for us in a way that we can grasp and use it. And Lord, I pray for me and for my brothers and sisters in this room and online that you would work this out in our lives and that we would see liberated hearts and souls and consciences and relationships because you have done this among us. Help us to be not just hearers, but doers of these words. For the glory of Jesus in his people who represent him in this world, through us, we pray. Amen.
we, we sang this morning, and the arrangement of it had us sing it two or three times in a row, faultless to stand before the throne. Faultless to stand before the throne. Can you believe that? Faultless. I just choked up thinking that that prospect is a reality. Faultless. Before the throne. In other words, before the one who can like see right through me and knows all my faults. And then we sang, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Whole? Whole, you mean all the parts together the way God intended it to? Is any one of us like that? How could we be faultless before the throne? Thank God there is one worthy who died for us to make us that way. And he is the great peacemaker. So if Jesus said to us, this marvelous peacemaker, look, if you remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, you are the offender, leave your, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled, then come back and take care of that worship before God. And so I want to introduce the concept of the Native American concept of burying the hatchet. I looked that up just to see if it's real. And yes, it was found in the 16th and 17th century writings about Native Americans who learned to, to find a way, a ceremony in which they could make alliances and establish peace between them, and they would bury a hatchet. Um, hatchet. And a symbol, but a tool of attack or self-defense. A tool of hostility. Uh, and when you bury that hatchet, you're saying that there's no longer going to be that hostility, that offense, that defensive reaction uh, against one another. So how do we bury the hatchet? How do we go to another when we are the offender? I'm going to offer you some things here this morning. I uh, didn't provide paper for you to write this out, but I hope you'll write them on the computer screen of your, your minds. If you're the f offender, then first you have to do what Jesus said. If you're there and you remember, in other words, you have to recognize you've wounded someone. How will you do that? It may be that God's Spirit meets with that person in the temple as they're offering their sacrifice, or as you're placing your offering here, or as you're offering your praise and your worship to God here, you just, God's Spirit says, hey, remember him? Remember her? Remember those words you shared? Or I shouldn't say shared, spouted. Um, God's Spirit prompts you. Maybe the offended person tells you, man, that hurt. That hurt. That stung. Maybe your conscience just nags you. Sometimes that's the Spirit of God. Sometimes that's our own personal... Uh, Let's go back to that, the offended tells you. Now, do they always say it with words? Maybe it's verbally, but perhaps it's body language. Men, I'm talking to you. Uh, men, uh, you've been at a party, and there's humor kind of floating around, and something gets on the subject of shopping, and you think of this funny joke that's at your wife's expense. And you tell it, and everybody laughs in the room except one person. Who? Mm-hmm. You said it. 
And she doesn't say anything to you, but you watch the face just falls. Maybe the body, maybe the shoulders slump. And you realize, because you saw that, that those, that body language was speaking to you. You realize your offense. Um, maybe, not the best way, but somebody else informs you. You know, what you said to your coworker last week just really put them in a funk. I could see that they, they were wounded. In whatever way, the point is, develop a, a godly sensitivity to others around you and your impact on them. Be servant-hearted. Be other-centered. There you remember that your brother, your sister, has something against you. And then develop the habit of confessing it to God. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, it's a condition. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous. He's just to forgive us our sins. But we got to confess it to God. And so you bring it at least vertically, confess it to another. Then make a plan. Purpose in your heart to be reconciled. Plan on it. Um, Determine to do your part. Romans 12, 18 says, As much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. You can't make the offended party, the injured party, forgive you, but you can go and, and offer not only your apology, but your, your humble recognition and seek forgiveness. Determine to do your part. might be good to plan the time and the place. Some places are definitely better than others. In some places and in some relationships, depending on the nature of the offense and the wound, uh, it may be better not to be together in order to try and settle this. It just depends. But plan the time and the place. Probably not right before some business meeting or right, right before some activity that's going to involve your total concentration. It should be time when there's time to talk. Maybe time to cry and time to clear up before you go where you need to be next so that people don't see uh, that you've just been a basket case because sometimes that's going to result. How about the means uh, to do so to that communication? Probably better in person or by phone. In person, you can read body language and facial expression and you hear tone of voice. At least phone allows tone of voice. Um, Not so good in writing because... Every one of us know that what we put in writing can be misunderstood, misinterpreted, and sometimes held against us in ways we weren't anticipating. If it's necessary, yes. Uh, um, These are not from God. These are ideas that have come by people who've helped counsel folks. And I'm talking in in this section mainly about, I'm just going to call it garden variety. Sin actually started in the garden, right? (laughs) Uh, In the garden variety offenses. Uh, I realize that when I... I want to talk later about what about deeper wounds? Because no one's whole. Is anyone whole? No one but Jesus. And um, we walk into a place like this carrying, what do we call it, baggage? Carrying wounds. Some wounds that are really, really old, maybe even decades old, but that it doesn't take much to draw the blood back again. And so, yes, we're all wounded. Um, I want to address some of those when the offender doesn't ask forgiveness a little later on. But then uh, plan your words. What are you going to say? If you are the offending party. You injured someone. 
You hurt your coworker, your wife, your husband, your children. Um, here's some things not to say, and because this is kind of what we're taught on the playground, as I illustrated last week. You don't say merely, I'm sorry. That is not an appeal for reconciliation. That's just a statement of fact about your emotions as they currently exist. I'm sorry. I feel sad. Uh, yes, you do want to reflect sorrow, a very appropriate sorrow, but don't stop with that statement of emotion. I'm sorry. Don't say, you know, it was too bad that. That's, that's a more dismissive statement. Or, you know how I am. Um, yeah, you, everybody knows my personality. I can rub folks wrong. You know how I am. Uh, not, we all have our faults. In other words, you're just as bad as I am. Um, that, that doesn't help. Um, or it's just that, da, 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 da. The point is, don't be flippant, don't make excuses, and don't offer defenses when you are seeking to reconcile. So how can you approach with your words? I would suggest these, and I've used them often. I don't have a master's degree in reconciling offenses, but I am doing some graduate study because I'm experienced in injuring other people, and I've had to ask forgiveness. Express humility and purpose. It may be that you need to say something like, look, I've come humbly to you because I know I've wronged you and I want to seek to reconcile. That will take some people by big surprise because they're not used to it in this world. But ex express your humble purpose. And then name the sin or the offense. I was utterly rude to you at the party last night. I was... Those words were harsh. Name the sin. You don't have to rehearse the whole thing, but just name it. Get it out in front of you and take responsibility personally for it. That was my wrong. I did that, and you don't deserve to be treated like that. No excuses, no countercharges, no say, well, the reason I said that was because, and then put them on the defensive because you want to charge them with something. As much as you can... See, help that person see that you can uh, you reflect that you can see how the offense looked in their eyes. I'm going to say a little bit more about that just next. But in other words, you're not just seeing what you said or how harsh it was or how rude it was, but that they, that you can see how it impacted them. I saw your face fall, and I knew that somewhere inside you were just deeply wounded. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. Um, at this point, I think it's wise to ask, is there more? And then be quiet. <laughs> because you've brought up the subject, and the next thing you want to do, or at least pretty soon, you want to, you want to ask forgiveness. But forgiveness asked prematurely doesn't ask for the level of hurt which it caused. And so then, is there more you would like to say to me about that? And husbands, this may be a time when your wives just break down and cry. And I don't know about you, but I, I wilt under the tears of my wife. And it, but that is what we need to see, because then we see the level of hurt we caused. And if we ask forgiveness before that, we're asking for this much forgiveness. And she says, no, buddy, what you need is this much forgiveness. And so don't ask for that until you've allowed her to express, do you know that? That was in front of my best friend. 
in front of people who are pretty new to us. And they were at the party with us. And when you said that, I felt shame like I haven't felt in your presence in years. Okay, you got to own that as the one who offended like that. But you need to hear that before you can ask forgiveness. Then, I was wrong. Stay there. I was wrong. Express repentance. I am deeply sorry for that. Um, probably not best quite yet to reach over and offer a hug <laughs> um, because she's just expressed that pain or the injured party has just expressed that pain. But when you feel like you've understood the level of injury you've caused, then ask, I don't deserve this. But I want to ask, can you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Important to ask those words, not prematurely, but to ask those words. Will you forgive me? That is the transaction that needs to take place. Not just being sorry or hearing hurt, but you've already opened a door toward reconciliation by what you've done before. And when you ask forgiveness, then be quiet. Don't fill the silence up with more words. Uh, Let the silence be there while God works in the person you've offended to consider forgive or no. Or do I need to, does she or he need to say more about how that wound impacted them? All right, how about the offended? In the, again, in these garden variety, um, unfortunately too frequent offenses we cause one another. How about the offended? What, what do you do when that person has just said, will you forgive me? Here's how not to respond. Don't say, well, it's okay. Because it's, <laughs> in your heart, you know it's not okay. You just cried, wept. You, you were wounded. You were hurt. Or let's just try and forget about it. Well, no, that's trying to dismiss it without reconciling it. Or, oh, it was nothing. Or, oh, I know you didn't mean it. Uh, those are nice things to say to try and relieve a little bit of the conscience, but it doesn't help solve it. Uh, it's probably my fault as much as yours. There's a time to own up to where you have offended in return or beforehand, but this is not the time for that. They have asked forgiveness for what they have done against you. I lied to you at the office. I, I cheated you out of, out of that promotion by, uh, by my uh, taking credit, whatever. So the, the point is don't sugarcoat it. Don't gloss over it. Don't minimize it. Don't prematurely dismiss it. Don't cut short what God is trying to do at the moment. So when you're the offended, don't minimize that. Do respond with some truth, with truth and with grace. Um, express gratitude. Man, this hurts. It did hurt, but thank you. Thank you for coming to express what you've just said. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Explain how it hurts you more clearly if you feel like you, you've not been understood. And then, again, in these garden variety ones, grant forgiveness. I do forgive you. I do forgive you. We'll talk uh, some words about forgiveness from two other passages in the scripture a little bit later. And then enjoy the freedom of that renewed relationship that can begin on another foundation. That's, that's what I would call the, the general approach to asking and giving forgiveness. Now, there are far deeper things. And I know I'm looking at poker faces right now and you're looking at mine. 
uh, and I can't see into your souls, but I just know the human race. I've talked to enough people and done enough marriage counseling that I know that you could, if I asked you to, to, you could write down, man, here are three wounds that I endured, maybe as a child, maybe as a teenager, maybe older, and it's never been settled, and I carry it around with me all the time. How do you go about, as the offended one in this case, for wounds that are deeper than just, man, I know I hurt you, please forgive me, for wounds that go deeper than that? Uh, A lot of this comes from the second book I mentioned, Forgiving Forward, and it's all from the point of view of the wounded, injured party. And he offers what he calls um, protocols of forgiveness. And I'm just going to share them with you. These are not things I came up with, although I've added a few thoughts. But uh, first of all, thank God for his grace in forgiving you. Yes, that person abused you. Yes, that coworker cheated you out of the credit you deserved. Yes, whatever. First of all, look up to God and say, man... Is anyone whole? Am I whole? Am I faultless? Thank you, God, that you forgave me. That's why I love singing the gospel back to God. Because when we come here and sing the beauty of the gospel, we are rejoicing in unmerited favor and magnanimous, crazy grace that was given to us when we could not deserve it. So regardless of how we've been offended, let's look up at God and say thank you. Thank you for your grace in forgiving me. And then ask God, okay, you're just approaching this. Ask God, who do I need to forgive and for what? Ask God for a a change of heart in how you view that person or those persons. Seek God for the courage and the grace to see him or her not as an enemy, not as a monster, but as a person of worth in God's eyes, as a fellow human, as someone of precious value, a bearer of the very image of God. Ask God for the grace to see that offender, however ununderstandable uh, was their hurt to you, however deep it wounded you. Ask God to see them as a human. You know, Peter was one of those guys on the hillside listening to Jesus preach this Sermon on the Mount. And I think that when Peter heard this, first go and be reconciled, his mind started clicking. And he had just lots of people he could pull up that he, he had offended and others who had offended him. I mean, he's a rough and tumble fisherman. Probably, I don't know, probably had a foul mouth. He used it in the garden when he denied who Jesus was and that he even knew him. Uh, He was a tough guy, and tough guys hurt each other and get tougher. I would say more calloused, not better, but more calloused. And and so Peter's hearing that, and um, he seemed to have listened well. And I imagine that the whole concept of reconciliation did not go down easily with Peter. Let's not imagine these guys with halos on the Sermon on the Mount listening to Jesus preach. Uh, These are guys who are hearing this stuff and saying, Good night. How do we handle? How do we do this? We're going to keep following him because there's something about him that we will not give up on. But man, this sounds this is crazy. Um, 
especially consider Peter's impulsive personality and his, his uh, kind of trigger-happy uh, tendency, a quickness to take action. He's in the garden, pulls out a sword, chops off an ear. He, he's just that way. And uh, we pull out our swords too, don't we? And there's a lot of earless people <laughs> in, in, our, in our trail because we've been impulsive too. Especially, we're impulsive when we get hurt, particularly. So I think he wrestled that for a long time. And, and along about Matthew 18, 13 chapters later, we don't know how the chronology of it all, but I'm pretty certain that this event happened after the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when Jesus, again, is, is teaching on the proper way to reconcile uh, with someone who sins, and Peter just lets, lets loose with a question, but he goes up to Jesus. Can you see that? Peter looking around, saying, man, I, I want to get some extra stuff on this. He goes up to Jesus in Matthew 18, then, uh, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Okay, now he used the word brother. You know, he and his brother were in a fishing business together. And I'm guessing he's not just using the generic brother, although he may be. But he, he can probably catalog a few uh, dust-ups he's had with his brother Andrew. Uh, but he does say, my brother. He leaves it generic, at least on the surface of things. Up to seven times? Sounds pretty generous, doesn't it? Would you consider seven times against the person you have in your brain right now that offended you, that wounded you, that abused you? that used those unforgettable, harsh words against you seven times? Whew. Jesus, King of heaven, says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Who's good in math here? How much is that? 70 times seven. You, you can talk, we're friends. 490. Okay, <laughs> Peter pulls out his calculator. Can you see the mouth drop? 490. Now, if you're still keeping track and you're in the 480s, let, let me just say, uh, you're not really on the path toward forgiveness. You're like keeping a tally. It's like, and it's getting longer. Now, what is Jesus trying to say? He's saying, there is unlimited forgiveness. You have the capacity, by my power, live through you for unlimited forgiveness. For those who are serial offenders, you can be a serial forgiver. So Jesus doesn't stop there. He tells a story. And I'm not going to read, but we'll tell the story in general. Uh, it's about a king settling accounts with some servants. And a servant comes to him who has a debt which is basically equivalent to 15 years of annual salary. Okay, now you do your own math, and I won't ask you to speak out loud. You do the math on that one. How much is that? What is that amount that this debtor owes? 15 years times your annual income. Well, this servant owes that king that much money. And the king is saying, look, it's time to pay up. And he begs and he pleads, please, please, please forgive me. I'll, I'll find some way. And the king, amazingly of all, says, look, 
let's wipe it clean. And that servant walks out and he finds someone who owes three months, three months of salary to him. And he grabs him by the throat, you pay up or else, and he can't pay up, and so he sends him to the debtor's prison. Well, an event like that is going to be known in the village or in the city, and the word, they, the witnesses report this back to the king, and the king says, you scoundrel, you. I forgave you that debt, and you could not forgive that debt. To prison you go. And Jesus says to his listeners, to Peter, and maybe others who's tried to tune in on Peter's private conversation, so you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. This is how God will treat you. Uh, one of these writers interprets that passage as saying the king took away responsibility uh, and allowed the torment to exist on the person who would not forgive. In other words, when we are bitter, God removes his hands and allows a tormented conscience to, to just eat at us. And so he said the king allowed that. He allowed others to be the tormentors in his case. So... Uh, Jesus is warning us with that story, don't be unforgiving. Um, we need to look at anyone. Let me say this again. We need to look at anyone who injures our hearts through the lens of how hugely we have offended a holy, perfect God and how he has, and I write it this way, outrageously, mega generously, he's wiped out our account. We do not, and we could not ever pay back our debt. And God has said through the person of Jesus, I wipe out your debt. Now, as you have been forgiven, freely give to others. Someone has very well said, the ground is completely level at the foot of the cross. No one, no one of us has a leg up on the others around us. Um, that is where all of us fellow sinners, the, the offenders and the offended, the injurers and the injured, all find ourselves. We are all in equally desperate need of God's mercy, and none of us even has a slightly better standing than the others around us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. To take this view, which is God's view of the person who injured us, is the beginning of the process and the choice to forgive. And then, before we ask God to or forgive that person, repent of any unforgiveness we have held. Every one of us has withheld forgiveness. And in a twisted sort of a way, we've kind of enjoyed being bitter. We kind of... And in our soul, we have that, that grudge which we like to nurse... Isn't that crazy? We nurse a grudge. One of these writers said that being bitter against someone is like drinking poison thinking it's going to hurt the other person. And that's what it is. It's like we hurt ourselves. We injure ourselves by holding bitterness and unforgiveness against another by keeping a grudge. Jesus said in Matthew 6, in this same Sermon on the Mount, when he was teaching disciples how to pray one of the phrases one of the important sentences of our prayer between us and God is and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors 
in the same manner. If there's an equivalent level of forgiveness, how do we stand if we're bitter? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation. And surely that is one of the temptations we face. Verse 14 of Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So who do I need to forgive and for what? And then forgive. Forgive each offense from your heart. You might even need to write out or to say, Lord, I forgive, fill in the blank, for fill in the blank. It's costly. It is painful. It is rare. But it is necessary and freeing. Lord, I forgive, blank, for blank. And maybe pause in, front of the, in the presence of God. The Lord, is there anything else I need to forgive him or her or them for? And just silently wait before God. The God who had, the God who preached this sermon is the God who loves reconciliation. And when he sees any of us in the process of at least giving forgiveness, even if we've not been asked, even if there's no possibility to ask, the offender may have moved far and far away. We may have lost touch. They may have passed away. But if they've not for us, we can be asked, we can be free, freed by forgiving. And then this statement, God, before you, I declare that fill in the blank, is no longer in my debt. Before you, God, I declare, they owe me nothing. And you transfer that debt to the cross of Christ and be free. Dr. Hebel then goes on to uh, advise, seal your decision of forgiveness with a blessing. You think, how how in the world do I do that? Seal your forgiveness with a blessing. In this same chapter, in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say, you've heard it it was said, you should love your enemies, hate your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who've injured you. Pray a blessing for those who caused you deep, deep pain. Because that's how God is. And you can be a son of God, a daughter of God. You can represent the Father's character in this fallen world. Uh, I forget the song we were singing. Oh, do, do, do you feel this world is broken? It is. In this broken world, we can be unbroken people to the extent we can and still in this planet by forgiving and then blessing. Luke 6, 27 and 28, a parallel passage to the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Pray a blessing on those people. Ask God uh, to bless them perhaps in the area in which they hurt you. Did they steal from you? Ask God to give them financial blessings. Did they cause you shame? Ask God to give them some sense of honor. 
Just try and reverse. You use spiritual judo on their attempt to hurt you and ask God to do good in their lives. Ask God if he wills to grant you an opening or some opportunity to bless them. He's sovereign. He's wise. He knows what we could handle in such an interaction or an encounter. And he knows uh, how much we could, which we could do to bless that other person um, by his spirit. Okay, here's another one. Some people say, forgive and forget. And everybody else in the audience should be saying, ain't no days like that. This mind is too good a rememberer. You know what? I still know how to button my shirt. I did it this morning. I didn't have to think about it. I still know how to tie my shoe. I don't really think about that. Our minds are phenomenal rememberers. I remember a lot of your names. haven't met many of you. Uh, but our minds are great at that. And when we've been hurt, oh, baby, can we ever remember that? Because it goes deep in the psyche when we've been wounded and injured. So commit, I'm going to say it this way, commit to forget or to not remember the offense or offender by continuing to hold their wound against them. Well, how do we do that? Okay, here's how. We can't cleanse our mind. We can't get some, you know, brainwash and get it all out of there. Um, the more real and painful, the more we remember. So how do we do that? When the memory returns, don't rehearse the pain. Don't relive the hurt. Don't rehash the injury to you. Rather, reject it simply by saying, I specifically remember forgetting that. I'm sorry, forgiving that. I specifically remember forgiving that pain. Okay, Satan wants you to call that to mind and jump back into a, a pit of bitterness. And that comes to your mind, your immediate reaction is, Satan, I remember forgiving that. I believe, and, and in fact, I'm desiring to see that person blessed, and I'm praying God will bless them. I believe our enemy can't necessarily read all our thoughts. And maybe, I don't know, he, he's probably not on it. He may not hear everything we say. But if he's around and we say it aloud, if he keeps on hearing us bless the person who he wants us to be angry at, he's going to look, I give up. <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere else where I got more easy to mark. I can take them down. If this person is too busy blessing the person who hurt them, I'm going to just quit bringing that memory back to, to mind. God, before you, I've declared they're no longer my debt. I've asked for a blessing. And so I will always remember this day of forgiving them. Commit not to recall it. Then, um, by grace, make pre-forgiveness a lifestyle. This is, this is pretty amazing to think through. Make pre-forgiveness a lifestyle. God planned a marvelous way of reconciling us, his enemies, to himself before we ever were born and before we committed the long list of sins against him. And he sent his son predisposed to forgive us before we even came out of the womb. He pre-forgave us. So we adopt an attitude of pre-forgiveness for those who are going to hurt us. We just plan on a life of gracious love and kindness to those who can so easily rub us wrong and do us wrong. Um, let me just close with these two verses and a story. Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to all these negatives we are to put away. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Wow. Just get rid of that. Along, uh, be kind to one another. Hear this. Tender hearted. That's viewing the other person as in the image of God. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving each other. And hear this phrase. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let me ask you. Is there anything you can do like God does? Can you create a flower? Can you create the Niagara Falls? Can you plumb the depths of the ocean and know where every fish in every ocean is at this very moment in time? No. We can't do anything like God does. But this passage says we can forgive like God does. Is that cool or what? Just as God in Christ forgave you, forgive them. Then Colossians 3, 12 to 15. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Notice these words, chosen, holy, loved. And this is a verse in the, in the positive. Put on, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. I kind of get the idea that it's like expecting to be rubbed the wrong way and just rejoicing in that brother or sister bearing with another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone that's pretty universal isn't it (laughs) whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the lord forgave you so also should you beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body. There's peace in forgiveness. Close with a story. I know I've always taken, taken up your time this morning. It's an ancient story. It's recorded in several Middle Eastern languages, in, in Sanskrit and in Urdu. It's also in biblical Hebrew, and the story in Hebrew is used by the rabbis to describe why did, was the Mount Moriah chosen as the place for the temple to be constructed? I can just read it to you. Um, the story is this, that there were two brothers who shared a threshing floor where the, they threshed the village's grain, and they shared a portion of which, would fell, which came to them as a payment for their service. Each evening, the brothers divided the grain received as payment for in two equal parts and carried their sacks home to pour into their granaries. Over the years, for some reason, they grew a little distant, no particular offense, but just grew distant from one another. The elder brother stored his grain, then went in to dinner with his wife and his 12 children. The younger brother emptied his sack and went into his house to eat alone, for he had no wife or children. Later that night, He would lie sleepless in bed, thinking, My brother insists that I take half the grain each day. It is not fair. He has 14 mouths to feed, and I have just one. So he insists that I take half, but I must increase his share. So he would rise from bed in the darkness, scoop out a huge sack of grain, carry it across the threshing floor, and secretly pour it into his brother's granary. 
in the early morning while it's still dark, the older brother would awaken and lie thinking, when I grow old, I'll have 12 children to take care of me. My brother has none. He insists that I take half the grain. It's not fair. He must lay up for the future. How can I write this injustice? And so he would rise up in the pre-dawn darkness, scoop out a great sack of grain, carry it across the threshing floor, and secretly pour it into his brother's granary. One night, their timing was off. <laughs> the brother's timing it was wrong, and in the darkness, they met in the middle of the threshing floor, heard each other's footsteps, and then recognized each other's voices. They dropped their sacks to the ground and fell into each other's arms in an embrace of brotherly warmth they had not experienced in years. According to the legend, and God said, that's where we'll build my temple, where people dwell together in unity. There I am. When you bury the hatchet, don't mark the spot. <laughs> Walk away free. Let's stand in prayer and be dismissed. Hmm. Oh, Father, I sense that there are transactions to be made in this humble body of people, precious brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you walk with each one of them? I guess I'll say it this way. Would you walk with them back into their past to see those wounds and the person who wounded them and walk with them with your hand on their shoulder to the present and tomorrow or the next day or whenever they intend to ask forgiveness or give forgiveness. And for many who will never have the chance to see that injurer again, give them the beautiful grace of forgiving and being set free. For the glory of Jesus among his people, we pray it. Amen.